Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 to 12. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing round the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God for ever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Karen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule. Your spirit, our teacher, and your greater glory, our supreme concern. All this we ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. How do you get on with crowds? I'm not a massive fan, but it does depend a bit on why the crowd is there. Have you ever been at London, Euston, when there's been some massive problem on the railway line heading north. And just everyone is rammed into the concourse waiting for information. Horrible. There you are, complete strangers with very little in common other than the fact that you all want to get to your own homes. And then when a train is announced, it's every man or woman for themselves charging for the ramps down to the platforms. It's, it's not nice. But a crowd can feel a bit different when you're all there for some shared reason that's better than we all want to get to our individual homes. Perhaps you're at a concert hall or an arena, and you're all there because you want to join in that experience of watching your favourite band or listening to some amazing music. Or maybe you've been in the crowds heading to Solihull Moors for one of their matches recently. It's a bit different when you have that thing in common, isn't it? In in that Bible reading from Revelation chapter 7, the writer John is giving us a glimpse into the future and showing us the greatest crowd scene of all time, who will gather in heaven to praise and worship God while they wait for the final resurrection and the return of Jesus. They're gathering even now. 
This crowd is more diverse than any gathered at Euston Station on a day of disruption. It's, it's more united in purpose than any set of concert goers or sports fans. People drawn from every nationality, every ethnicity, speaking a huge array of different languages, and there'll be more differences than that. They'll be drawn from different ages of human history. They'll know different worship cultures. They'll prefer different musical styles. Some will prefer a more reflective approach to church. Some will want to declare God's praises vibrantly, or that's how they will have been on earth. There'll be a whole range of economic backgrounds, some mega rich, some of the poorest of the poor, all brought together. They'll have different theological emphases. Some will be autistic, some will have ADHD, some will have experienced great trauma in their lives. But here, in Revelation chapter 7, the differences are there. They're they're real, but they're, they're not a cause of division. Rather, what we see is a surprising but beautiful unity as all this great multitude gathers together in front of the throne of God. So we've been thinking over the last couple of months about friendship, our own friendships, the patterns of friendship that we see in the life of Jesus. And today we're reminded that all of our relationships, all of our circles of acquaintance, these are the warm-up. They're the warm-up for being part of God's new people in eternity. And when we're in that crowd in heaven, and then when we're in the new creation with him, we'll find great joy and unity in that. The, The power of this crowd scene in Revelation lies in what's shared by every person there. There's a shared identity. There's a shared experience. And there's a shared purpose. And we're going to look at each of those in turn. So first, there's a shared identity. Revelation 7 verse 9. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Despite their differences, this, this great number of people from all their various backgrounds, did you see how they're all united in appearance? They're all dressed in white. They're all holding palm branches and they're united in their one song. Something has brought them together. Something has welded them together as one unit here. And what is it that brings them and holds them together? Because there has to be something, hasn't there? It doesn't just happen by chance. I remember maybe 25 years ago, I was in Aberystwyth, and there was some sort of student demonstration going on. You know the things, the placards, marching, chants. They were marching down the hill from the university into the town. If you've been there, you know which hill I mean. 
And they were waving their placards and they were chanting. And you know, to this day, I have no idea what they were demonstrating about. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was walking down the hill by a quarter of a mile ahead of them. I couldn't read the signs. I couldn't make out the words they were chanting. Well, I could hear it was, what do we want? Mumble, mumble, mumble. When do... <laughs> but clearly there was something that had drawn them together. There was some common cause that at least temporarily united this group of people. And when they got to their destination in time, wherever it was, I imagine there was going to be some sort of gathering, wasn't there? And somebody's going to get up and speak to the crowd. Because that's how these things work, isn't it? And that person would speak about whatever it was. A cause or an ideal or a group of people they were supporting or some demand being made of some bad people. Whatever it was, the crowd would hear about that thing as they listened to the speaker. And it's not quite the same here in Revelation 7, is it? Because the thing that brings this great multitude together isn't an ideal or a cause or a demand or a support for some marginalized group of people. What brings together this huge number of people from every nation and every background on the earth is right there in front of them. They're standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. Every great gathering has some sort of shared identity and shared allegiance. And here in our passage, that is a shared identity in Christ. Jesus Christ is the shared identity of these people. This great crowd of Christians from every age assembles. And to the the world outside, they don't look like natural bedfellows. They're gathered from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They will have gathered from groups that on earth were at odds with each other. And so why in heaven would they choose to gather like this? But they belong to Jesus Christ. These people have that one vital, central thing in common. He is at the core of their identity. Who are they now? They're Christ's people. That's who they are. They owe allegiance to him, an allegiance that to them is greater than any other tie. Who am I? I'm an Ulsterman. I'm overweight. I work in IT. I'm both an Irish and a British citizen. I'm autistic. My surname comes from a very old Derbyshire family. I've been to university. I love trains. I belong to Jesus Christ. And some of those things you and I may well have in common, and some we won't. Some of those things may mean that in worldly terms, you and I have a natural affinity for one another. And some of them might mean that, humanly speaking, we might naturally tend to avoid each other. And yet, if you and I both belong to Jesus Christ, then every other consideration is overruled. That, that is our shared identity and allegiance. The rest, in this scene in heaven, fades.
fades away into the background. Now, the reason that they have this shared identity and shared allegiance to Christ is because they have a shared experience. That's the second point. A shared experience of being saved, rescued by Christ. Listen to their song in verse 10. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And after the verses that Karen read, that theme is expanded a little for us. Here, they all are, before the throne of God, all in their their huge scale and in all their diversity, because Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, died and rose again to save them and us. They are the ones who've put their trust in Christ and who've experienced his forgiveness. They're dressed in white robes representing that purity they have now that Jesus has saved them. As Becca was saying earlier, that's what makes them saints. Perhaps the palm branches that they're carrying remind us of the palm branches that were laid before Jesus as he entered Jerusalem on his way to die. I'm not sure what the imagery is meant to represent there. But if I've been saved by faith in Jesus Christ, and if you've been saved through faith in Jesus Christ, then we have this amazing experience in common. It binds us together. It changes not not just our individual relationships with God, important though that is, but also actually our relationships with each other. We might have different nationalities, different first languages, very different jobs. We might earn very different amounts of money. Our our bodies and our minds might not work quite the same as each other, but we have, as Christians, this shared experience, a foundational experience, the most important experience we've had, that Jesus Christ died and rose again to save us both, to bring us new life, to forgive us our sins, to make us his children. And having that in common is stronger than any of those other differences. St. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, he describes how the gospel of Jesus Christ has broken down one particular dividing line which was between Jewish and Gentile believers in that early first century church. He wrote, Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who's made the two groups into one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. That is the business God is in. All Christians have this shared experience of having been saved by faith in Jesus Christ, which means that I can't look down on any other Christian because of the sheer value and worth that Jesus ascribes to us both. So, this great multitude 
has a shared identity that is Jesus Christ. They've been brought together by a shared experience of salvation through Christ. And we, and we see them, thirdly, working out their shared purpose, which is the worship of Christ. Because having a purpose, something to work for, is so important, isn't it? At my work just now, we have two apprentice computer programmers who have been working in the team that I belong to. They had been looking at some improvements to the system we run for another team at the university. It was fine, but I'm not sure they found it that exciting. And then I took them over to visit that team who run all the audiovisual equipment in our lecture theatres and our other learning spaces across the campus. And suddenly, our apprentices grasped how the thing that they were working on was so important to the learning experience of our students. They could see how their work was helping the university to fulfil its purpose you saw, their lies, you saw their eyes light up. And this great throng in Revelation 7, they cry out as they fulfill their shared purpose in praise to God for the astonishing global scope of his salvation. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, they cry out. And that prompts all of heaven to respond, the angels and the elders and the four living creatures, heaven rejoices because the church is gathered, the church is here. All God's people have been gathered by God's grace according to God's plan, saved by the death and resurrection of God's Son, Jesus Christ, transformed by God's Holy Spirit. Here they are, and they worship. They worship and worship and worship. Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And when I say that their shared purpose is worship, I don't just mean singing. I love singing, but that's not the only thing. It's not just Sunday morning. I don't just mean that. I mean all the ways in which our joy at knowing Jesus Christ and being known by him overflows into our lives. Because knowing Jesus changes who we are. We've been loved by Jesus. We love him in return. Our lives change as we seek to know what he loves and to live lives that bring him joy, lives that honour his commands. And he commands us to love one another, and so we do, or we should. That's what we see here, isn't it? They're coming together across all the things that on earth might have divided them. We love even those who, humanly speaking, might be considered our rivals or even our enemies. This great crowd in Revelation chapter 7 and all the followers of Jesus Christ today have these things in common. A shared identity. We belong to Jesus Christ. The shared experience of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And this shared purpose to worship and know Christ.
and do his will. Rejoice in these things. He has, he's made his people one. Rejoice in this identity and experience and purpose that you can share. Even with Christians who are very different to you in background or emphasis or life experience. Pursue what we have in common. We've got to. It's what he wants. It's what they're doing. Is there any Christian or any kind of Christian who you're kind of hoping won't be there? You just can't see what you have in common. You can't see how you and they could belong to the same thing. Repent of that. Christ has broken down that barrier. That's why he died. That dividing wall between you and Christ and that dividing wall between you and your neighbor. They've both gone. They really have. In Christ Jesus, we have this shared identity, this shared experience, this shared purpose. We will be enjoying them and most of all, enjoying him together forever. Get in practice now. Because this scene in Revelation 7 is shown to us in the Bible as a foretaste of what is waiting for us in eternity. And it is beautiful. Get ready. Get in practice. Amen.